0: This morning I'll be reading from Luke 10. It's on page 1581 in your pew Bible. We'll start with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from heaven to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side,
1: Thanks, Claire. Uh, My name is uh, Lloyd Biddle. I'm one of the pastors on staff at High Point and I got two things I want to do. First, I want to move this uh, podium to the center and then I want to properly introduce our speaker for this morning, Larry Martin, so give me a second. So Larry Martin serves as the um, director of the International Justice Mission's um, Midwest and Rocky Mountain area. Uh, The IJM as it it is known as uh, focuses on protecting the poor throughout the world. And what Larry does is he goes around throughout the country Uh, preaching um, the good news about uh, Christ and how he is deeply involved in justice. He does this at churches, he also creates partnerships, um, some of which you'll hear about in his his message a little earlier, and all to uh, make sure that Christians know how to live out justly in the world. Uh, now, he has a wide-ranging experience. He served as a pastor, he served uh, as a staffer at Young Life, he served at um, various key leadership roles in his, uh, at IJM, and he's also been a de- denominational executive. Uh, not only will he be preaching this morning, but at 1230, he'll be on a panel with local experts in justice, And so we want to invite you, if you can, to stop over for lunch for a discussion about how you can get involved in justice issues in Madison, as well as how to uh, be involved across the the world. On a more personal note, Larry lives in Marietta, Georgia, and with his wife, uh, Nan. Won't you greet our our dear friend, uh, Larry Martin?
2: be great to be with you today and uh, it's not my first time to be here at High Point so it's good to be back I was here about 11 years ago with the founder of International Justice Mission Gary Haugen and uh, we got a chance and to, to speak with you all and so for some of you a little bit of this might sound a little bit familiar one of my favorite verses comes just before the verse you see on the screen It says God has changed us from enemies into his friends and given us the task of making others his friends also. That we're Christ's ambassadors in this world that he so loves. And we are about this task of helping God make his appeal to the world. So just like this Samaritan passage that we read before, we have to pause and simply ask this question, what does it mean to be an ambassador for the God of the universe, for Jesus Christ? And how do we make his appeal to the world? How do we do what the passage in the Samaritan story tells us, love the Lord with all we've got? and love our neighbors as ourselves. This is the challenge, kind of, that I want to put in front of us this morning. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the famous Russian novelist and winner of the Nobel Prize in 1971, very thoughtful person, and in his Nobel Prize acceptance speech in 1971, he said this, he said there are two standards by which we judge events that happen in our world. These disasters, the suffering that takes place in our world. And he simply says, whether they're far away or whether they're near. And he said this, that for those disasters that are far away, remote, and unfamiliar to us, they become tolerable disasters of bearable proportion. The suffering that takes place far away is remote and unfamiliar. And this doesn't mean around the world, it can mean just across the street or in the next neighborhood over. They become for us tolerable disasters of bearable proportion. Today we wanna talk about how we can kind of come close to the injustice in particular in our world that the poor suffer. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you promise in the book of Hebrews that you reward those who believe you exist and who earnestly seek you. So we would declare that we have proclaimed our faith to you this morning in our song, in our creed, in our prayers, and we would ask that in these moments we have together that indeed you would reward us reward us by speaking something of your truth to us, something that would actually have the power to make us different from the way we were when we came to worship this morning, that we would allow your word to speak to us, to penetrate our hearts, to take root, flourish, and actually bear fruit so that the world would know your goodness so this church would be strengthened and you would be glorified in the name of our brother and savior, Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. So I wanna apologize from the very get-go this morning because what I'm about to say in the first few minutes of my presentation is going to sound a little bit like a commercial for International Justice Mission. But there's a reason why I'm doing this other than making IJM look really good and cool. One of the challenges when we face this kind of suffering in our world is to come away with a sense of hope. And so by telling some stories of what we have learned as an organization, I believe you'll go away with this sense of hope that I just have to say is critical if we are going to join the fight against injustice in our world today. So here goes, International Justice Mission, IJM, where I've worked for the past 14 years, is a global organization that protects the poor from violence throughout the developing world. The vision is to rescue thousands, protect millions, and prove that justice for the poor is possible. There is this largely invisible world out there to most of us that affects the poor in the developing world, and it is just this plague of everyday violence. Throughout the developing world, the fear of violence is part of the everyday life of the poor. The poor are vulnerable because their public justice systems just don't work. The courts, the police, the prosecutor's office, the laws just don't protect them from those who would want to hurt them. Now, here in the U.S., when we fear like we will be the victims of violence, what do we do? Well, we pick up our cell phones, right, and we go 911, right? And we have protection. But in the developing world, there is no protection. 911. Now, in our world, when the 911 call doesn't work, the results are shocking, right? Several months back, in a small rural county in Oregon, on a weekend, a woman dialed 911 because a man who had assaulted her previously was trying to break down the door of her house. They had just had a tax referendum in this county. And they didn't fund the police adequately. So when the 911 call came, the 911 operator said, well, can you tell the man just to go away? And then she said, please send someone. And they said, I'm sorry, we don't have any officers that can come out there on weekends. Can you call back tomorrow? This is what life is like for those in the developing world. There is no 911. There is not a public justice system that protects the poor from violence. So in our world today, there are four billion people who live outside the protection of the law. Our solution at IJM is that we would protect the poor from violence by partnering with the local authorities to do four things. First, we bring rescue to the victims. We help local authorities find those who are suffering this kind of violence. We send out our own investigators. We help them find them. Violence that is already against the law, those who are suffering violence and oppression, and we bring rescue. And last year, in 2014, IJM rescued 4,376 victims of violent oppression in our world. Secondly, we bring criminals to justice, right? We work relentlessly with the local courts to ensure that traffickers, slave owners, those who would assault children and other criminals are restrained from hurting others. It turns out that if you can put criminals in jail, You don't have to put them all in jail. You just have to put enough in jail that it sends a message to those who would harm others that they can't do it with impunity, but is a huge deterrent. When IJM came here, when Gary Haugen came and spoke 11 years ago, IJM was just five years old. And at the end of five years, IJM had put about five people in prison. Last year, in 2014, we restrained 372 criminals. We're beginning to see this culture of impunity shift. Number three, we restore survivors to safety and strength. You know, in the story in Exodus 2, where God calls Moses to rescue the slaves out of Egypt, he doesn't just say, I'm gonna rescue them and bring them out and just drop them off in the desert. No, he says, I'm gonna take them to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So as we bring people, as we rescue victims out of slavery and sex trafficking, we bring them into a place where they have an opportunity to thrive. They get education, they get microfinancial help, they get the trauma counseling that they need to be, restored. And then lastly, we strengthen public justice systems. As we work these individual cases with our investigators, our lawyers, our social workers, with our police trainers, we begin to see where the system is broke, and we bring structural solutions to begin to make things operate as they should. In 2014, IJM trained nearly 19,000 police, prosecutors, judges, and other public justice system workers, protecting an estimated 21 million people who would otherwise be vulnerable. Now why, why should we care about this as followers of Jesus? Why should we care? Well, I want to share with you a few verses. Uh, One is one of the very first verses I memorized as a young Christian following my coming to Christ as a high school student. It's Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, it is by grace that we have been saved, you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast it's just simply telling us that god loves us so much that he gave us our salvation as a free gift there's not a thing that you or i can do to earn the grace of god that saves us we have no right to boast and often that's where we stop at the end of this glorious verse well i want to just tell you that when the apostle paul wrote this letter to the ephesians there were not verse numbers Right. It was just one long letter. And often we neglect the very next verse that really should go with it. And it says this, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So on one hand, there's nothing we can do. There's no works that we can do to earn salvation. But on the other hand, our salvation is so that we can go out into the world and do good works, so that the world can know the goodness of our God. So this causes one to stop, right, and ask the question So, what is good? And you know the answer from the well known verse, Micah 6, verse 8, where the prophet says, He's told you, O man, O woman, what is good, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So we have this God that's nice enough, first of all, to simply tell us what will please him, and then when he tells us, it's not like comprehensive exams at school, right, where you have to remember all this massive amount of information. It's just a short list of three things, and the very first thing on God's short list is that we would do justice. Now, lest we think this is just an Old Testament concept, look at Matthew 23, 23, where Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he simply says, "'You are doing all these great religious things. "'You've got it down to even tithing your spices. "'But here's what I hold against you. "'You neglect the more important matters, "'the weightier matters of the law,' he says. "'And what are they? the same three things justice mercy and faith he's telling us that these are the things that i'm passionate about now why does god why does the prophet why does jesus care so much about justice mercy and faith i think it's because these are the three reasons that the people that God so loves suffer and die. They suffer and die if they don't have a relationship with the living God. They suffer and die if if they don't have the bare essentials, they don't have clean water or food or education or medicines. And they also suffer and die if there's no one to restrain the hand of the one that would do them violence. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. I think the reason that these three things are so important is they rob us of the abundance of life that Jesus would have for every one of those that he created. So this is why we show up, right? because these things steal the life away from people that Jesus would want to have the life. So IJM tries to seek victim, uh, rescue for those who are victims of everyday violence. So what kinds of things do we do? Well, we take on cases of sex trafficking of children in our world. Two million children in our world are sold daily over and over again. Last year, IJM rescued 258 victims of child sex trafficking, bonded labor, or simply put, slavery. In our world today, there's an estimated 36 million slaves. 14 million of them are in India alone. And in 2014, IJM rescued 2,668 from slavery. Widows and orphans in sub-Saharan Africa are often victims of widow and orphan property grabbing. What happens is when the man dies, and too many men die early in Africa from all sorts of things, including HIV, but when the widow and orphans have the man of the house die. The law says that they're to inherit the property, but just because the law says it doesn't mean it's true. And if you're a poor widow in Africa and you don't have a lawyer, you lose. And about 30% of women who see their husbands die prematurely see everything they have stolen, the house, the property where they grow food, the clothing, the bicycle, the cooking utensils, everything, and it 's a matter of life and death. The other day, I was walking to the to my gym and uh, I was walking from the parking lot into the gym, and there was a woman who had a heavy accent, and I asked her where she was from, and she said she was from Uganda, and I asked how long she 'd been here and how she got connected to the to the hospital where the gym is and uh, Then I told her what I did, and I said, I've been to Uganda, where she was from, and told her about this widow and orphan property thing, and she said, that happened to my mother. So it is just absolutely common kind of thing. Again, 361 families were restored to their property last year. One of the toughest things we take on is when it's actually the police who are doing the abuse and the violence to the poor. And this is actually a, a man I met five years ago when I was in Africa. I actually was able to go to prison and pray with Michael. He's an 80-year-old man who was thrown in prison because a UN official had been murdered. He was a gardener at the UN official's compound. And when the police couldn't find who was responsible for the murder and the UN was pressuring their boss, they say, the boss just told them to go get anyone and charge him with a crime. So they went to this 80-year-old gardener who was thinking nobody would really care, he has no money, he's poor, he can't defend himself, and so he is just stuck in prison. And when I met him, he had already been in prison for two years and hadn't had his preliminary hearing yet. He was later convicted of murder, but we were able to work on a constitutional, and uh, in, in a new constitution where there was a chance now for that conviction to be appealed and we were able to show up for Michael, and this is him walking out of prison two years after that. It was a five-year process that we entered into the fight for justice for Michael, all while everyone was telling him nobody cared. Last year, IJM rescued 44 people who were falsely imprisoned in Kenya. The World Bank did a study About three years ago now, they went to 17 very poor countries in our world and they asked the poor, What is your biggest source of insecurity? And the shocking news to most of us in the West was that it was actually the police. It was actually the police who were underpaid to begin with and they supplemented their income by extorting money from the poor with threats of violence. Really hard to imagine what that is like but this is one of the things we combat around the world. Child sexual assault is another huge human rights issue in our world. In fact, Kofi Annan said that sexual violence and domestic abuse are the biggest human rights problems in our world today. Last year, IJM got justice for 135 victims of child sexual assault. And then citizenship rights. If you are undocumented in our world, you are unsafe and you're vulnerable to violence. In Thailand, where we do this work, we actually work among the tribal people of Northern Thailand who've been in the country, their families for hundreds of years, yet they have substandard or no citizenship rights at all. In Thailand, there are 21 categories of citizenship, and if you don't have the top tier kinds of papers you are vulnerable to violence so we use our IJM lawyers to document their citizenship and to process their papers and we deliver their citizenships through the local church so it can be a witness to the goodness of God in their villages and last year 904 people got their citizenship papers through the work of our Thailand office So where do we do this work in the world? You get a picture here. We're in 20 countries, pardon me, we have 20 field offices in 14 countries, and we have six global partner offices as well. And I know this is hard to see, so go to our website, ijm.org, and take a look. I want to introduce you to some people, and some of you might have been here 11 years ago and heard a couple of these stories, but this is Joyti. Joy T. is the first person that we rescued out of a brothel at IJM in 2002, pardon me, in 2000, and uh, when she was 14 years old she ran away from a very bad family situation. She was at the local railway station in a scene like Slumdog Millionaire where she was begging for food and trying to figure out what was next. And some women noticed this attractive 14-year-old and they came to her and asked, what her story was, and she told them something of her suffering, and they said, well, Joyti, don't worry, come with us to Bombay. We know a restaurant where you can get a job, and you can support yourself, and we'll even buy you a ticket. And as Joyti was telling me this story of what had happened to her, she said, I really didn't trust the women, but I was so desperate, I didn't know where to turn, and so reluctantly, I agreed to go with them. And sure enough, on the way there, she was given some tea that had been drugged, and she drank it and fell unconscious, and when she awoke, she'd been sold into a brothel for about $280. She told the brothel keeper, you can't make me do this kind of work, I'm just 14, I'm gonna go to the police, but she didn't get a chance. She was stuffed in an underground holding cell for several days, she was just treated horrifically until finally she consented to be abused by the first man, bought and sold and bought and sold six times that first night, 20 and 30 times a day for weeks, and months and years. Never once did she see daylight in the years that she worked in the brothel. One day, she learned about a God named Jesus from one of the other workers. She didn't know anything about him, but in her desperation, she simply chanted, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. How does Jesus answer such a prayer as that? Well, it turns out within a week, of her praying the name Jesus. An IJM investigator showed up in the midst of her nightmare, got enough evidence together that he could go to a secure police contact who led a raid of Jyoti's brothel and got her out. And this is the first case of a girl that we rescued. We'll come back to it in a second. This is Shama, who you also met several years ago. Shama was one of the first slaves we rescued out of a uh, india and so we had heard about this kind of slavery and in 2001 we sent a team over to india a bunch of lawyers and to see if we could do any good we went to shama's village and everywhere we turned we saw slaves we documented shama's case and 10 others we dropped those reports off at the local courts and made an appointment to see the judge the following monday all weekend long our team is just praying and praying and praying that god will bless this report and then one of our Folks had the idea that we should go pray with some local Christians, so we did. We went to a Sunday night service where they spoke English, and we just went there to pray with them. And who should turn out to be the guest preacher that night? The judge. Cared deeply about these children. He didn't just free the 11, but over the subsequent months, he helped us rescue 494 children out of slavery and back into school. This is Christine. Christine is one of those widows who had her property stolen in, uh, in Uganda. And here she is meeting one of the pastors. Now, how we found out about this kind of work was we were working with a church in Edina, Minnesota. Uh, we preached there one Sunday, and they said, well, what, what should we do next? And we said, well, why don't you... Think about a place in the world where you're already doing evangelism and church planting and training up Christian leaders. You're already doing building schools and sponsoring children and clean water projects. You're doing that kind of evangelism and mercy thing. And just ask the people you encounter, well, what are the justice needs here? So they sent a team of lawyers on a mission trip. That's a great idea, right? Some people would say, why don't you send them all? Uh, <laughs> So they sent a the team of lawyers over and they started talking to these various people and they found that almost every church had some widows and orphans who spent the nights sleeping in the churches and begging for handouts at those churches. And they discovered why it was that their property had been stolen. The churches were at the, the Christian ministry serving them were actually thinking about building them houses. And one of the lawyers on this t- church team from Edina, Minnesota said, well, why don't you Let us, as lawyers, see if we can not help those widows to actually get their property back. So this is Pastor Michael speaking to Christine. Michael is Christine's pastor, and he's working with a lawyer named Tim from St. Paul, Minnesota. And Tim is reading the Uganda law on the Internet, and he's talking to Pastor Michael over the Internet Cafe, and they are... He's, the, the lawyer's sending Michael back to say, ask this question, and they're gathering the evidence. Well, they, via this relationship, got Christine Erland back. And they said, wow, that was fun. Hey, IJM, would you help, can we work with you to actually start an office in Uganda where we could put an end to this kind of thing? And so that's how this, got, this whole thing got started. So how does IJM actually do this work? And more importantly, how can you do this work? How can High Point get involved in doing this kind of fight against the epidemic of everyday violence and injustice for the poor? Well, I think it begins with the scripture that we read today. Remember how it went? This expert in the law stands up to test Jesus. Now, I think it's funny in scripture, isn't it? How whenever the Pharisees or the Sadducees want to trip up Jesus, who do they send? They send a lawyer. Now at IJM we have all these lawyers and we like to make fun of them and we ask, why would it be that a lawyer might think that he could outsmart the creator of the universe? And I can tell you this, I have spoken at the University of Wisconsin Law School and they don't have any humility classes there. So this lawyer stands up to test Jesus, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus simply says, you're a lawyer. How do you read the law? And so the lawyer answers the question correctly. Love God with all you've got, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. Now the lawyer is smart, and he understands that he has just come under conviction. He has not done what is taken. So it says he tries to qualify the damage by asking another trick question. And he simply asks, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells us this famous story of the Good Samaritan. A man has been beaten up at the side of the Jericho Road and left half dead, all this done by robbers. And along comes a priest. And it says as he comes along, he stays on the other side of the road. And then along comes a Levite, another religious man. And it says as he comes along, he too stays on the other side of the road. And then comes a Samaritan, a man who had experienced a good bit of prejudice in his own life. And it says that he came up close to the man. And he had compassion on him. And he took care of his wounds and he bandaged them and he put on ointments. And he took him on his own Animal and got him to the inn where he cared for them. And then as he left He made provision for him and he was coming back to check in And he says which one Jesus says which one was a neighbor To the man who was beaten and the lawyer says the one Who had compassion on him? Then what does Jesus say? He says go and do likewise And he's not just saying that to the lawyer, he's saying that to you and to me. We're called to go and do likewise. So the question is this, what is likewise? What is likewise? Well, getting back to our issues of justice, mercy, and faith. What it simply means is that our faith Is given to us our connection to God is given to us So that we could come up close to the needs in our world the needs that steal life So much of our Christian theology gets perverted at times doesn't it? So that we think that what our salvation is all about is to put this bubble of protection around us, right? We're gonna have this, because we follow Jesus, we're gonna have this supernatural bubble of protection around us that's gonna keep us from all kinds of harm, all kinds of difficulty, and our ways will surely prosper because we're following Jesus. But what this passage in scripture is telling us is, we need to learn a different way of looking at what our faith is all about. Our faith is meant to equip us to not run away from trouble and be safe, but run towards difficulty and be brave, to come up close to the need. Of course, the Samaritan that day didn't know if the robbers were just lurking behind the next rock, but he knew he was called to come up close to the need. So the beginning of doing justice in our world is not allowing it like in the Alexander Solzhenitsyn quote to stay far away and remote and unfamiliar by staying on the other side of the road, but coming up close to the need and discovering how God will meet you in those moments. So remember, Shama, IJM has persisted in taking on this kind of slavery issue in our world. 36 million slaves, 14 million in India, every year we come together in April, with about 2000 of our IJM prayer partners just to pray, to pray that God will do the miracle of justice for the poor around the world, but to pray for some very specific things. And one night we choose to pick the hardest thing we can think of, the most difficult thing that we are facing and ask God to meet us in it. So in 2010, we decided to pray that God would allow us to see the end of slavery in India by 2030 a big impossible thing for God to do through us. It was just two months later when our office in Chennai got a call. The police had called us saying, this man is here telling us that his brother is enslaved in a brick kiln and he's crying out that we would come rescue him. His brother had been able to sneak out of the brick kiln and make a phone call to his brother who lives 16 hours away. You've got to understand that for the police to call ijm and say come and help us this is like a totally new thing we used to have to hammer and hammer at the door of the police and never leave like the persistent widow in scripture to get them to ever do anything and now they're calling us just speaks of the progress that we're making So we send our team with the police to go rescue this one man out of this awful brick kiln where he's enslaved. When we get there, we're shocked by the conditions. We see maybe 700 people enslaved in this brick kiln, and the conditions are atrocious. And as we rescue the one man, the other slaves are just cowering in fear because they don't know what's going on. You know that Harriet Tubman, when she was running the Underground Railroad. It was said that she carried a gun. And people, when they hear that, they think, oh, yeah, those people were chasing after them, trying to catch them, and she needed the gun for protection. Actually, she used the gun to keep the slaves moving because often in their fear they would just be frozen and not moving. And so as we looked out at this mass of slaves They thought no one cared that they would, whatever happened for them, they were just going to be abused more. But our little petite social worker got up on the truck bed of a flatbed and started to exhort them to take up their freedom, to tell them how we would help them walk into a new life and restore them. And then she said, how many want to be free? These are the people raising their hands. And that day 552 found their freedom. A few months later, we applied to the Google Foundation. We said, we've learned how to tackle this huge problem of slavery in India. Google is deeply involved in India. And we said, would you help us roll out our work throughout the country uh, and replicate what we have been doing? And so they gave us $9 million to expand our work in India. In the beginning of 2011, we had worked just in these two states in India, but with the help above Google, we expanded to 14 states by the end of the next year. And the result was that next year, we rescued 2,000 more slaves than we did the year before. We think that we're at a turning point where indeed that possible goal of ending sl- end slavery in India in 2030 is actually possible. Remember Joy T, the first girl that we rescued from a brothel. A few years ago, we approached the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. We knew they cared about HIV and a- AIDS, and they had spent billions of dollars on trying to, to eliminate that scourge. and They did it mostly by education and by spreading drugs. Uh, But we said, there's a whole bunch of girls and women in our world who don't get to make educated choices. No amount of education will help them because they are trapped and they don't get to make choices. Would you help us rescue them, these who are an engine of the spread of HIV? And they said, well, we know that you could probably rescue a bunch of girls, but can you actually change the situation? And we said, that's exactly what we want you to help us show. Can we do a test project together? So together, the Gates Foundation, IJM, and the Johns Hopkins University teamed together to find a place in the world where children were just openly being sold uh, to set for sex. And the place we settled on was Cebu in the Philippines with Project Lantern. And what we did was Johns Hopkins went in ahead of time and they went in and actually counted the number of children they could find who were being openly sold for sex. We worked at it for four years. We rescued about 250 girls. When we first went in there, we would go and do, a re- we'd do an investigation and then we would work with the police to do a rescue. We'd work with the national police and we'd go to do the rescue and then We'd find that the local police were there and they would get in a gun battle with the national police because they were corrupt and getting paid off by the brothels. Then we'd do another raid with the local police and we would go to rescue some children and the national police would be protecting that brothel. The similar kinds of dangerous battle would ensue. But over the years, pressing forward, training the police, getting them to change sides, to bring political will in that country into the battle we saw a turnaround, and we knew we had done well. At the end of four years, we had expected at least to reduce the prevalence of children in brothels by 20%. But even we were shocked when Johns Hopkins came back and said we'd reduce the prevalence by 79%. And we've seen even more astounding results in Cambodia, where we've been at this a little bit longer. Remember Christine? Christine? Christine uh, was just the the first of many that we have rescued in Uganda and in Zambia, Kenya, restored to their property, also in Rwanda. But in the process, we discovered that one of the reasons that widows and children don't get their land back and don't get justice is just because the court records are so impossibly maintained. And often justice is not served simply because a record is lost. So we built a relationship with the Ugandan courts to the extent that they actually allowed IJM to have access to the court records in order to clean them up and reorganize them. And how did we do that? We took church folks just like you from Woodbury, Minnesota, and from Ann Arbor, Michigan, and they went to two different county courthouses, and this is what they did. Let's go back to the previous picture. Whenever you go on a short-term mission trip, one of the things you ought to do is find out where the local courts are and go see what their records are like. And this is what theirs was like. It actually had to be fumigated before we went in because there were all kinds of animals crawling through it all. And this is what it looked like at the end. And all of this means, because these Christians from Minnesota and Michigan showed up is that widows are gonna get justice. And the scriptures about caring for widows and orphans are fulfilled. So what does this all mean for you all at High Point today? Well, I think the first thing it should mean is that you actually commit yourself to understanding better all of the scriptures that tell us that justice needs to be a part of our witness in the world. I think all too frequently, even though we may be great students of the word, we read over those passages because we just never knew this kind of work was possible. So, again, give yourselves an opportunity to discover the biblical convictions. And there's some books on the table in the back that will allow you to do that. Uh, The other thing I would invite you all to do is to go to our website, ijm.org, and actually sign up to be prayer partners or to even pay for the rescue of folks that are desperately yearning for it. Let me also say that on the back table we're inviting you to become ijm prayer partners so there's a little card there if you would fill it out and actually commit to be an ijm prayer partner every saturday you'll receive a prayer email and you can kind of join us in praying for things that are urgent where the poor desperately need not only ijm but god to show up and bring rescue to them so That you can do at the table there. Make sure you take time to do that. And don't forget that actually next week you have your own day of prayer for justice here at the church. Become a freedom partner and pay for the rescue that the poor need. Become an advocate for IJM. Some of you who uh, are free to do so could do an internship with IJM either in our Washington, D.C. headquarters or one of our field offices around the world. And if you go to our website, you'll see how to do that. There's information on that in the back. And then also we have about 40 jobs that are available on our website right now where we're looking for people with specific talents. But don't miss out on the opportunity to be used by God for the things that matter to him. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, as we Think about the hope that you bring to us as we enter this kind of work. We're bold to ask that you indeed would show yourself once again to be the God of rescue. And for all those who suffer both globally in places that are unfamiliar to us and those who suffer violence and injustice here in Madison, we pray that you would use us to bring your rescue and it would all be for your glory and that people would worship you because of this work. Father, for a moment, we wanna actually pause and pray for our own rescues, that indeed you would rescue us from all things fearful, all things trivial, all things petty and small, And in their place, would you pour out your love and your hope so that we would know the joy of being used by you for the things that matter to you in a world that yearns to know your goodness. We pray all these things things in the name of our brother and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Would you stand and sing with us, please?